Chapter 8 of Secret History Revealed by Lady Peggy O'Malley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Secret History Revealed by Lady Peggy O'Malley by Charles Norris Williamson and Alice Muriel Williamson. Chapter 8. We were still skirmishing on the outskirts of conversation. What did I think of a soldier's out-of-door quarters? Why hadn't anyone yet shown me the great sight, the concentration camp? When Tony Dalziel came hurrying up to take me back to his mother and the motor, his arrival seemed to bring relief from strain. It was like a brisk breeze blowing away the brooding clouds that stifle the atmosphere before a thunderstorm. I dreaded to go and leave these two men together, but when Major Van Dyke suggested walking with us to the car and asking Mrs. Dalziel about Milly, my heart felt lighter. We stopped only long enough with Eagle to arrange a visit to the concentration camp for next morning, if Milly were better. And then Van Dyke, Tony, and I started off. For the first two or three minutes, the Major walked along in silence. But when we were well out of sight of Eagle March's tent, he interrupted some sentence of Tony's ruthlessly. I don't think he was even aware that the other was speaking. See here, Tony, old man, will you do me a favor? He asked in the nicest manner. There's a book in my tent I promised to give Lady Peggy to read aloud to Miss Dalziel, a jolly good story. I forgot to bring it out when I came, and I don't want to go back now if I can help it, because a party of boars are being shown round in that direction. Awful people I've escaped from. You don't know them, so they can't hurt you. Will you, like a dear chap, cut off and grab the book? It's on the table. You can't miss it. Purple cover. Tony obligingly cut, and I waited breathless for what was to come, knowing now without being told that Sidney Van Dyke had seen the photograph. He had not promised me a book nor mentioned one. I had only a few seconds to wait. It is true that your sister gave March the picture he has in his tent, he demanded, rather than asked. I gasped, doubtful whether it would be wise to bring things to a crisis, or better to try and keep them simmering. But an instant's reflection told me that to shilly-shally with the man in this mood would make what was already bad far worse. Yes, she gave it to him, of course, I replied. I think you must have overheard him say so. I really didn't mean to put emphasis on the offending word, but Major Van Dyke suspected it. Perhaps the cap fitted. I wasn't eavesdropping, he said. I happened to hear. That's a very different thing from overhearing. And I have a right to ask you as Diana's sister. Diana herself, not being on the spot, to give me an explanation, as I'm sure she would if she were here. Because I have the duplicate of that photo, she told me she'd had it taken from me and the negative destroyed. I considered it sacred. I would have shown it to nobody. I am nobody, said I, nobody except Captain March's friend, to whom he tells things he wouldn't tell to others. He had the best of reasons to believe I was in Diana's confidence as well as his. 
and as for the photograph, it's as sacred to him as it could be to you, Major Van Dyke. You might realize that from the clever way he has thought of to hide it, and no person who wasn't absolutely prying could have recognized it in passing by his tent. He knew that very well, or he wouldn't have uncovered the picture for even a second. If you were a man, you wouldn't dare say such a thing as that to me, Lady Peggy. Oh, yes, I would, I retorted. If I were nearly as big as you, I'm Captain March's friend, not yours. And I'm not a bit afraid to be your enemy if you are his. You are more loyal to your friend than to your own flesh and blood, he flung at me. If you say your sister did give that photograph to March, you make her out a liar. But I won't believe it of her. I prefer to believe it of March instead. Liar is a strong word, I temporized. I was always taught that it was very rude, too. You're a flirt, Major Van Dyke. Everyone says that of you, and I believe you're proud of it. So you ought to have some sympathy with a fellow flirt like Di. If anyone must be blamed, of course it's she, not Captain March. He has as much right to accept a photograph from a girl as you have. But you needn't be too angry with Di if she made you believe that you were the only one when she was doing the same thing with Captain March. Probably she didn't lie to either of you in so many words. It's not necessary for you to defend Lady Diana to me. I assure you, returned Major Van Dyke, whatever she may have done, I'm ready to forgive her if she's willing to stand by me. But I won't have March swaggering around and boasting that she gives him special favors. If I were a man, you wouldn't dare say that, I burst out. When you talk about boasting or swaggering, you must be judging him by yourself, for you are always doing both. He never. I believe Di likes him better than she does you, because he's a sort of popular hero with his flying, and you have nothing except your flirting and your fortune to recommend you to a girl. If only I hadn't lost my head and thrown that taunt at him. I suppose I shall never know how much difference or how little this mistake of mine made. The instant the words were out, I would have given anything to recall them, but it was too late. To apologize or try to explain would only do more harm. I ventured one sidelong glance at Major Van Dyke's face after I had shot that bolt, and I quivered all over as I saw how the blood streamed darkly up to his forehead and swelled the veins at his temples. If I hadn't been afraid of him for Eagle, whose superior officer he was, I might have pitied him for the pain I had inflicted under which he could keep silence only by biting his lip. I knew he was hating me violently, but I didn't care a rap. All I cared for just then 
was that he was heeding Eagle March and counting on paying him out in some way. I couldn't guess what. I must warn Eagle, I said to myself, and I could almost have kissed Tony. I was so glad to see him when he came back with the purple-covered book which nobody wanted. Major Van Dyke walked on with us to the motor, as if nothing had happened, but he was very silent, letting Tony and me talk undisturbed. It was only after he had spoken in a dry, mechanical way to Mrs. Dalziel, and the car was about to start that it caught his eyes. There was a look in them as cold and deadly, or I imagined it, as deliberate murder. I couldn't wait until next day to see Eagle and tell him. I hardly knew what, but something to put him on his guard. He had said that he was engaged to lunch with a man named Donaldson at the Hotel Weldon, and it occurred to me that I might reach him there by telephone. At a little before one o'clock, I called up the hotel and inquired if Captain March had arrived to keep an appointment with Mr. Donaldson. The answer was yes and when I had given my name, I was asked to hold the line for a few minutes until Captain March should come to the telephone. As I sat with the receiver at my ear, waiting, somebody began to speak in weird Spanish or Mex, as I'd heard it nicknamed in El Paso. The telephone and I had never been intimate friends at home, and I practically made its acquaintance since coming to America, so I scarcely realized why and how I was hearing that voice. Is it someone trying to call to me? I wondered stupidly. Who knows here except Eagle that I speak Spanish? Then, gradually, it dawned on me that I had tapped a conversation going on between persons with whom I had nothing to do. Their chatter could have no interest for me, even if it were excusable to listen. But I didn't drop the receiver, lest I should miss Captain March, having been instructed to hold the line till he came. Couldn't help being vaguely pleased, too, that I had picked up enough Spanish in my home studies to understand what was being said. But suddenly, my silly conceit was turned into horror. I was overhearing that word which Major Van Dyke had resented, a plot between a pair of Mexican servants to poison the American families who employed them. Two women were talking to each other rapidly, earnestly, in tones of such agitation as they hurried on, that only for the first instant could I fancy a practical joke was being played. You got the stuff safely? Yes? Then it has gone round among those who will do the work. Only a few have refused to come in, 
those who eat will not die, but all will be sick. Then the men cannot fight our men if they come across the river. It is a very good plan to let us women help in our way. Yet above everything, there must be no mistake. It is for the noon meal on Thursday, but only if we are sure of an attack for that night. We should be lost if we acted too soon. I am the one to pass the word. I'm telling one after another to wait until it comes from me by telephone or in some other way. The words rattled off so fast that I could catch no more than half. But I had seized enough to fill up the spaces for myself when the voices were cut off into silence. An eagle march called, Hello? Is that you, Peggy? Yes, I said. I had something important to say to you. But I've heard the most horrid talk going on over the telephone. I'm afraid it may mean a real danger for El Paso. I daren't tell you about it on the wire. Do let me see you, I must. Can you possibly take a taxi and rush over here now? Or shall I go to you? I'll do that if you can't come to me. I'll come to you, of course, answered Eagle. I'll excuse myself to Donaldson and be with you in five minutes. Good. In the hall, I said. I'll run down now and wait for you. Mrs. Dalziel and I were to lunch in Millie's room to keep her company and tell her all the news, but the meal wasn't due yet for half an hour, so there was plenty of time before my hostess should come knocking at the door. I had just found a quiet place in the corner of the big marble hall and annexed a sofa for two when I saw Eagle walk in. He was looking for me. I beckoned, and he came to me with long strides. It would be hard to tell why, but never had I loved him so much as at that moment. I did not see how I was going to bear a whole long life without having him in it. When he had sat down by my side, I told him quickly, what I had overheard and how. The moment he had got the pith of the story, he jumped up, looked preoccupied and anxious. I must go at once, he said, before the girls at the telephone exchange have time to forget the numbers of those who've called and been called up in the last twenty minutes or so. We may be able to catch the ringleader in that way and get from her the names of every one in the plot, if it's a genuine plot, and I agree with you that it looks rather like it. Peggy, your fad for studying languages and your quick wits may have saved El Paso from something at the least unpleasant. Oh, I hope so, I cried. And the women talked about some attack. Don't forget that. No fear. He almost laughed. Now I must go. You may be asked some questions later on, 
I hope you won't much mind. I shook my head. What does it matter? But, oh, Eagle, I cannot let you go until I've told you what I rang you up for. Major Van Dyke saw Di's picture and heard what we said, and he's furious because it seems she gave him a photograph something like yours. I don't quite know what he thinks, but he's more angry with you than with her, and I believe he'll try to get even with you in some way. Look out for him. I will. This time he laughed outright. And I don't think he will be able to frighten me into giving up Diana, if she'll have me. Goodbye, dear, and thank you for everything with all my heart. You're my good angel. How I wish I could be, I sighed. But he heard neither sigh nor words. He had hurried away and into his waiting taxi. End of chapter 8 Recording by John Brandon